Hi, I'm Brad Solomons, and this is my first draft. Hi again. Great news. You came back for episode two. That's promising. I mean, now look, if you didn't already listen to episode one, you might want to go back and check that out first so that you can follow along with the story as I read it and take you through my efforts to edit the first draft of my novel. In fact, you might want to listen to these episodes in order because it is a it is a story after all. Now, the point of that episode was to hook you into the story, introduce you to just one of the characters in the book. If you remember, the prologue dropped in on a guy named Ian, who had stumbled while running through the woods and, well, he regained consciousness and found himself impaled by a tree root and ended up talking to a squirrel as he pondered his predicament and his options for getting himself off the mountain. It all faded to black as it seemed like someone had found him, but, well, I didn't exactly tell you who that was and what happened as he passed out again. But as important as all that is, episode two jumps a bit over to a couple of folks I do think of as my main characters. And this brings me to the heart of the second episode. Main characters. You're about to meet my main characters. A scientist and his lab technician. A straight-shooting science professor who is a staunch believer in process data and the scientific method, who has working for him a young woman with whom he can't quite reconcile to her interest and distraction in the paranormal. Their names are Cassius Craig and Andy Stafford, and they are the protagonists of this story. And as memories of our prologue hang in the back of our minds, reminding us that something strange is afoot in the nearby mountains, it's actually just another day in the research lab at the university. So, let's begin. Andy Stafford hums along as the ancient shelf CD stereo system blasts out a classic rock power chord through the science laboratory. But she jams the pause button as she hears the door click open. At precisely 11.40 in the morning, on Tuesday the 9th of September, Dr. Cassius Craig, professor of alpine botany at the University of Birchmont, strolls into his lab. He is late, but not as usual. His brimmed khaki hat sags with moisture and he swipes the raindrops clinging to his jacket off and onto the floor, swipes with a brush of the back of his hand. His leather shoulder bag is damp from the rain too, and he watches silently from behind a wire rack stacked with plant seedlings. Dr. Craig removes his hat, jacket, and shoulder bag and heaps them onto the plank wood seat adjacent to the door. Craig pauses, sighs deeply, and then he sits. He sits and he stares at the contrasting gray wall opposite for a long, contemplative moment, as if painted on the wall itself are the answers to a vast and unknowable universe. And if he stares at it long enough, maybe, just maybe, he will see all those answers hidden there. And who knows, Andy thinks. Dr. Craig was the kind of man who usually seemed to find the answer to whatever he was wondering, so maybe it was there among the specks and spatters. He pops up with a burst of energy just then and pulls a Steno-style notebook from the leather shoulder bag. He ignores the droplets of leftover rain spattered on both. The Steno pages are textured with ink scribbles, moisture, and haphazard scuffs. Smudges of organic colors collected from the pigments of dirt and leaves and mulch, still fragrant from being outdoors in the mountain woods, pepper the cover. 
Andy watches from out of sight as Craig runs his finger down the page. As Craig reads, he purses his lips, thoughtful even, as his digit pauses near the bottom of a column of numbers. The professor mutters under his breath, It certainly, no, certainly not. It must be a calibration issue. Andy says nothing and continues watching silently. Then her patience breaks. Andy's patience snaps like a twig and she calls out, Nabbing the professor's concentration away from his notepad, she pokes her head around and waves, So where the heck have you been all morning? Craig looks up and replies, though it takes him a second to locate her behind the plant rack. Oh, oh, hello, Miss Stafford. I've been out. I've had some field work to do before I came in this morning. Field work, huh? Jay left for coffees over an hour ago, she says, emerging from behind the tower of plant saplings on which she is working. I figured he'd be back already, and everyone else is off teaching or wherever, and... Well, I end up talking to myself here. These seedlings, we have great little chats and all, but it sure would be nice to have someone human around here to chat with, and I... Miss Stafford? Craig interrupts. Yeah? If you don't mind, I would like to focus on this data that I have just collected. Perhaps we can save the, uh, laboratory gossip for another time? The botany professor tucks the steno pad under his arm and picks up his leather shoulder bag from where he had set it down next to him. He walks with focus over to the far corner of the room, weaving past Andy in the plant rack and then past two more like it. Craig sets the bag and the pad on a cluttered section of Ray's workbench that serves as his desk. He slides his fingers along the bottom of the computer monitor that is sitting there amid the shuffle of papers and emptied coffee cups. Fumbling for the power button, he triggers the screen to life and slides his stool out to seat himself upon it. Andy follows and peeks around the corner of another wire plant rack, looks at him and waits another minute. Hey, so some nice weather today, huh? She asks, even before he notices her there. I mean, me? I always like this cool mountain rain. It makes everything smell so fresh, but... Um, so you're doing field work, huh? You didn't tell anyone. I could have come with, you know? Were you just up by the creek? I was, yes. Craig nods, but doesn't look back at her. I don't mean to pry, but it's just that... You know you gotta tell people when you go up on those mountain trails alone, right? Craig finally turns and peers over the rim of his glasses at his lab assistant. Miss Stafford, honestly, I would like to have a moment with these numbers. He waves his hand at her, shooing her away. I'm sure you are aware that I do value my quiet working time here as much as, and perhaps more than, my peaceful moments in the woods. If you could please just let me focus. It's only that, well, she says, interrupting as she turns, beginning to walk away. At Mount Karazun, I, I assume that's where you were up doing field work. Well... You know it's become a bit of an odd place, right? Odd? Odd. Dangerous even, but, well, mostly just odd. You might not be looking into these types of reports yourself, but but me? I've been reading and talking to people, and there have been things, strange things, that have happened up there recently. I'm a little creeped out, to be honest. And you know my club, right? You remember I'm in that paranormal science club? Craig snarls. The words paranormal and science do not belong together, Miss Stafford. Every time you say it, I bristle. The word science implies that there is something logical or tangible that can actually be measured. Need I remind you yet again that this is a real science lab? Science? I do try to make this a laboratory built on proof and evidence, neither of which are consistent with your paranormal extracurriculars. It's just that, Andy says. Miss Stafford, in this lab, we, I, do not participate in paranormal speculation. Well, the club has been going up to Karazun for years, you know, investigating and recently investigating. In what way do you... Craig regrets asking the moment the words snap out of his mouth. Oh, you know, investigating, she says. We look, seek out spooky clues, dig into reports from locals who have seen or heard things. 
read through old newspapers and, you know, it's nothing so much that I could specifically put my finger on, but there are local legends, stories, that type of thing. We read and research and talk about it and then try and go get some proof of what we've uncovered, you know? Like, well, this. Recently, we've been investigating the legend of the Dig Fincher. Andy says, her voice slipping into a whisper. It's supposedly a half-coyote trickster, fanged, hairy creature that some believe sneaks through the mountains right here around Birchmont, traveling from cave to cave, lurking in the shadows, hiding in the darkness, and devouring Miss Stafford. Really, it is amazing how your mind wanders with such ease. Nor is it particularly relevant or becoming to a lab focused on the pursuit of measurable, verifiable proof, Craig scoffs. Dig Fincher. Such cryptological nonsense. He slaps his desk with his palm. We've discussed this many times before. Such make-believe is not welcome in my lab. Now, may I please focus on my work? You know, I've been amazed at how many people want to know what my book is about. Even as I'm writing it, what's the plot? Would I like it? Now, it's no big secret among my friends. I mean, we will definitely get into this as the show rolls on, and I read you more of this novel I've written. But, you know, when you up and quit your job and spend your time in front of a keyboard writing fiction instead of, say, pounding the pavement looking for work, well, people want to know what's up. I've found that I've needed a bit of an elevator pitch, particularly when I was still trying to get my head around the story that I was concocting. And so I would tell people that I was writing a scientific adventure. Think Jules Verne meets The X-Files. I would tell them science fiction and adventure through the eyes of a keen-eyed scientist and his counterpart. And, and that's who you just met in the opening pages of chapter one. Dr. Cassius Crate is a guy I dreamed up to be the straight-shooting scientist the skeptic, the guy who looks for data and evidence and a rational explanation. They kind of say right what you know, and Dr. Crate is a little fragment of my brain magnified into a university professor living in a fictional city. And originally, as I had started out, I'd even titled this story, The Adventures of Cassius Crade, or Cassius Crade and the Mystery of Blah Blank. But then I met Andy. I started writing Andy. I started writing her because I wanted Crade's opposite, at least that was the framework of the character when I started writing her. I had written a short story with Craig and Andy as they were investigating a mystery in the suburbs of Birchmont. And the more I wrote Andy, trying to turn her into the young and curious foil to Craig, the more she became her own self and she was able to justify her interest in the unknowable. She's a fan of the paranormal, and that's going to be a huge theme in the story as the mystery of what happened to Ian and what's happening up on the mountain continues. But, here, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, but people have seen just proof. He shakes his head and clicks his mouse so firmly that he hears the buttons creaking under his fingertip. Dig Fincher, indeed, Craig mutters under his breath. Proof, indeed, Miss Stafford. We're scientists and we're neither myth makers nor monster hunters. Not here. In your free time, well, that's another matter, of course. Your free time is your free time. Gah, Dig Fincher. There is always always a more scientific explanation for why people think they have seen these kinds of things. She rolls her eyes, exhales with a throaty laugh, and says, Well, even if you're not looking for creatures like the Dig Fincher, then whatever it is that you're working up there on Karazun, well, I'm interested. I'm completely on board with any kooky project you've got going on, boss. The odd and strange, the fringe and unusual, whatever. 
Craig turns his head ever so slightly and peers sidelong at Andy over the rim of his glasses. Kooky project. His stool is on a swivel and he walks his feet around 180 degrees towards her. The ball-bearing swivel joint creaks as he turns. He faces the young woman who is gazing innocently, gazing at him from a couple meters away. You know, kooky, weird, she says. I've seen your spreadsheets. I think it has to do with the root data that you've been collecting. You know, the strange signaling one. Anytime you break out the underground electronic sensor probes Jay built a couple years back, it all kind of gives me paranormal vibes, you know? Those probes? Jay built those specifically for a peer review of a Brazilian study measuring the transmissibility of simple electromagnetic signals between trees via their roots. And I can assure you that Dr. Sinete's work is neither kooky nor paranormal, Crate objects. And that so-called kooky project? I hate to disappoint you, but it is little more than a mundane government report. We were simply asked to validate a handful of ecological measurements many of which were gathered the first time using inadequate tools and a distinct lack of scientific rigor. But you are looking at root signaling measurements, Andy furrows her brow. No, it has nothing to do with root signaling at all, in fact. Those probes measure things besides, Craig snaps. Now look, it should be a very little surprise that I tell you, bluntly, that this work is not something that might even be of the vaguest interest to you or your paranormal hobby club. You don't know that. We might be interested. Anything out of the ordinary happening up on Karazun might be valuable evidence. I mean, Andy shrugs. Well, then why did you go up there alone this morning? If I were to tell you about every piece of raw data that I collect without your knowledge, then you would need an extra eight hours in each day simply to keep up, Craig replies, adding, those would be unpaid hours, of course. Come on, boss. Really? Andy says. He frowns. Really? We are often asked to do just this kind of busy work, and the university condones scientific support work as community stewardship. Yet, to my frustration, this kind of simple data validation and rechecking of someone else's observations usually constitutes a tremendous amount of paperwork that needs to be completed, often merely to keep the reputation and the funding of this lab intact. I am sorry to tell you that there is no fantastical mystery here to be solved. It should have all been done and sent back long ago, but I encountered a handful of anomalous measurements, nothing more. And I have been personally gathering a second round of data to remedy the situation. I am personally looking into it. Anomalous? Well, boss, you don't trust us to handle some fieldwork. I tell you what, I'd prefer that it was all some kind of mystery after all and not like a reflection of my job performance, Andy says. Dr. Cassius Crade sighs and spins his stool back to face the computer on his desk. Again, you are imagining things, Miss Stafford. This is just science and process and lab work. All of it is completely normal. And I am sorry to be the one to tell you this, but in my opinion, absolutely nothing, kooky, fantastical, or remotely paranormal has ever, ever happened up on Mount Karazun. Period. Can you feel it? Can you feel the tension between these two? I kind of imagine that a person like Andy would need to be made up of pretty strong stuff to stand up to her boss, a lettered professor. And I'm hoping I've done her justice, maybe even more so as the novel goes on, in shining her through as a strong, thoughtful person who has come to conclusions about the universe that, while her boss may not agree, are based in an approach that the reader can respect her and see the events of the story unfold through her eyes, which are eyes of belief and wonder, 
Between these two, I think I've got a pretty obvious bit of intellectual friction, and one that should help continue to drive the story forward as the mystery we all know is brewing starts to build and mature. Speaking of which, my plan in doing this podcast is for me to go through my novel chapter by chapter, page by page, and do a critical analysis of what's happening in the story. Does it make sense to me? Will it make sense to readers? Sure, there's going to be some editing that needs to happen at the grammatical level in terms of sentence structure and phrasing. You've probably already noticed some of that. I stumble over it even as I'm reading it here into a microphone. And those are definitely tweaks I will be making, sometimes openly, sometimes behind the scenes. But the big stuff, the hardcore editing, is the meat of the story. Things like plot, character, momentum. Does the logic of it make sense? Do the character motivations connect? In my next episode, you're going to meet the fourth character of this story. And he just happens to be a bit of a villain. And sneak peek, I've definitely noticed that the bad guys are the most fun to write. Anyway, I hope you like the story so far. And come find me on social media or via my website. It's linked in the show notes. And let me know if you have any thoughts or ideas about what you've heard. Till next time. Thanks for listening. This has been a Squetchy Co. production. Visit me at squetchy.art.com.